What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Well, howdy, Mr. Ken and everybody out there on The Hive Jive. How's everybody and how's the family doing? And uh, what are we talking about this morning? Oh, we have so much stuff to talk about today. Um, we, we were just going to dive right in. So uh, we've got some updates. We've got some thank yous. Uh, we've got some reminders. And then we've got the main show content. So lots of fun things to squeeze in here. Well, we better get to work. <laughs> All right. So first and foremost is the reminder. As everybody knows, we started this year doing a new a couple of new segments that are mixed in with the hive jive itself. And one of those is the natural beekeeping segment. And the whole point of this is we are now in the third year of the show. And anybody who started their beekeeping journey with Ken back in year one, you're now in your mm -hmm. third year of beekeeping. And I want to remind everybody out there kind of some of the points and the concepts. So you've heard me say many times before that beekeeping is the art of contradiction. It doesn't matter if you're doing the exact same hive, the exact same style, the exact same genetics, the micro and macro differences between your location and maybe your friend one neighborhood over can be so drastically different that things that work for you are not going to work for them and vice versa. And so the original concept of the hive jive, the whole point of the hive jive was to be generalized to touch on all of the different subjects, but not necessarily, you know, dive headfirst into one main subject and to attempt to never say this is the only way to do something because there's many, many, many different options out there. And so that generalized approach is so that the, the core aspect of the show can reach the broadest audience available. But as you get more adept in your beekeeping abilities, you can start laser focusing on specific things and you can start hearing other perspectives and other resources. And, and what really what we ultimately hope is that individuals grow to the point where you can start becoming more of an eclectic beekeeper, meaning you can take a little bit from here and take a little bit from there and put it together, you know, taking the things that work for you and discarding or leaving the things that don't and create your own beekeeping style. So I bring this up because, again, the natural beekeeping segment is very, very, very specific. It is a very specific type of beekeeping that follows a very specific path. And the whole goal of the natural segment is to be more bee-centric, meaning what the bees would do in nature with no intervention or manipulation from beekeepers from humans. It's to be as close to that as possible. So you're absolutely going to hear contradictions in there. And, you know, we had one contradiction in this last week's episode, which which got a lot of responses and feedback that we started getting from people. And so I, I did want to call that out. And I wanted to say, yes, absolutely, you're going to hear those. And that is the whole point. The point is for you to hear a different perspective, a different way than what you've heard the first two years. Because when you're getting started, 
you you really need that generalized approach. You need to figure out what's going on and what you're doing and learn the ropes before you try to get into some of these other avenues of, of beekeeping. So I wanted to point that out. And the the main contradiction that we're talking about, it wasn't a huge thing. It was in the first part of the segment, I had said that at this point in time of the year, you need to be out there and you need to be checking your bees every five to seven days. And the whole point of that is because you, especially if you still haven't figured out the rhythm and flow of your colonies, you need to be looking in there so that you can tell, are they running out of space? Is the queen laying well? Are they about to swarm? And that's the big kicker right there. Are they about to swarm? Because for them to raise a new queen, it only takes 16 days. And if you have purchased a queen of a specific genetic line, or if you really love a queen of that specific line, and you're only checking your colony every two to three weeks, you can literally miss the entire window of that process. They could have started the process just right before or right after your last inspection. And if you don't come back for two to three weeks, not only have they already swarmed by that point, but the new queen herself could very well have already emerged. And you're not necessarily going to be any of the wiser unless you see those actual queen cells that are now being deconstructed and taken back out. And then when we flipped over to the natural segment, on the natural approach to this, when you're out there and you're doing anything to your bees, if you're going through and you're manipulating your colonies, any manipulation is going to cause a little bit of a setback for the bees. So if you're somebody who is still trying to learn and figure things out and you're going frame by frame by frame and you're taking every frame out of your box, that will have a bigger impact on your bees. And it can take them a day or so to kind of get reconfigured and make sure that everything's good and, and get back in their groove of things. So from the natural perspective, to be more bee-centric, you don't want to bother them unless you have to and unless you have a very specific goal. And that very specific goal may be, are they drawing new comb, especially like in a top bar, for instance, are they drawing new comb straight? And if not, you've got the opportunity to correct it, but you may only open it up and touch those last couple of combs. That'd be the same concept of opening your Langstroth and peeking down inside there and just looking and saying, okay, I opened the inner cover and I gave them eight new frames and they've started drawing out three of them, but I've still got five more frames to go, so I'm good. And then closing it back up and walking away. Or splitting your boxes and literally just tilting the top box up and looking underneath it to see if you see any queen cells hanging down and then lowering that box back down. Those are the types of inspections where you can quote unquote check on your bees and know that, you know, yes, they're drawing new comb. Yes, they have space and no, there's no queen cells, things like this. And you can do those things within five minutes or less if you're adept at what you're doing and you know specifically what you're looking for. Now, is one right and one wrong? No. You can do whichever you need to do for your style and for what's going on at this point in time in the year. And by doing so, you're going to get a greater understanding and a greater knowledge of what your bees are doing. And that's the whole point right there. That's the point of beekeeping is for you to learn your bees. Which style you choose to do is completely up to you. So I just wanted to put that out there. And I just wanted to remind everybody that that is the whole point of the other segment is for you to hear a completely different perspective. So yes, there are going to be contradictions and those contradictions are likely going to become greater and greater the further we go down that natural beekeeping path. 
So I just wanted to remind everybody and just to remind you that that's the point. That is the whole goal of it. Yeah. You know, one of our, the, you, you hear me talk about the trailer hive across the road. I got it. It was a swarm we caught last year and I requeened it and they're rather testy. But what we're finding out is they are, oh, the dog's upset. They are, I don't know if they don't have a queen. We, we went through and they're not like, if well, we know there's a queen because we found eggs and we found uh, larvae, but very little brood and it was shotgun pretty bad. So uh, we want to requeen them. And Max says, well, Dad, you know, we got two two hives that are really good shape, and uh, those queens are very, very good. So you know, I was telling you about this, and you, well, y'all need to learn how to raise queens. And I know you already said, well, we talked about that last year. Uh, yeah, we did. We had, we had a segment about that. it. <laughs> we may have yeah. to brush up on that one. <laughs> We've got, you know, there there is um... – there's the opportunity to go back and talk to I talk about it again this season as well. And, you know, and also there is the opportunity to hear Les's perspective on it because Les Crowder does grafting and, and raises queens and stuff too. So, you know, we can get more queen rearing information in there and kind of tweak it around where you again get some of those different perspectives. So absolutely we can do certain things like that. But we do have an initial kind of introductory raising queens episode that was in season two um somewhere kind of right about this time period last year i think mm-hmm. so the I'll other tell, thing max, go find it. yeah go back and re-listen max the other thing that we want to do that we're a little bit behind on is give shout outs and thank yous to our newest patreon members so oh, yeah Going in uh, in reverse order here we want to give a huge thank you and welcome to Valerie M Paula E Lisa G, Chris K, and Barbara B. Thank you so much for joining us on Patreon. Apologies for not getting the thank yous out here on the main segment sooner. Unless you're just starting the show or you're still in year two, and in which case you're not going to hear this for a while, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Thank you, family. Uh, Let's see, what else? family members. Yes, our newest family members on the other part of the family. Um, So... Another little update just to to get this out there because we had had a few people ask and kind of question what uh, transpired. But as far as family home life situation wise, we do have wonderful news. The boys were adopted by a forever home and we are super excited for them. It is wonderful because it is going to mean permanency in their life. And there won't have to be any more bouncing around from place to place. And it is a very loving family. So we are super, super excited about that and just wanted to put that out there so that everybody could hear the conclusion of, of that saga that was mentioned earlier this year. You know, you, we had talked about the kids and, and, uh, I know you fell in love with the young one. I know you hated giving them up and, and letting them go on, but. If they're in a forever home, that's a wonderful thing. Maybe it'll, maybe it will take care. It, it will help the older one, and just make the younger one that much better. And what you and your family did, thank you for that. And uh, maybe they'll be keepers in a in another twenty years. <laughs> he actually, the older boy, was uh, super fascinated 
And so actually they both kind of were, which was funny because the little one, he, he would pick up on bees and anytime he saw one, he would point and he'd go bee, you know, and he'd come up and touch your shirt or touch a book or, you know, wherever he saw it, he'd be like bee. And he was always so proud of himself when he recognized it. And the older one was very fascinated. He got to suit up one day and go out and actually look inside one of the little nucleus colonies and, you know, was just marveled by it. And he had a little children's book that was about bees and that was the one that he would choose for his bedtime stories more times than not so yeah who knows maybe someday down the road in the future that you know they that will come back up in their life in some way or fashion yep oh nucleus uh max we moved the the five frame nuke that we had it was a bunch that had dwindled down and we put them back in the 10 frame uh, earlier this week, uh, they had grown that much. And I think, uh, putting them in a five frame and, and they even went through the Z, you know, our one degree weather, whatever we want to call that snow Mageddon. And they made it because you told us to insulate them. I told Max to insulate them and he insulated them. And it was a very small colony at that time. And I said, well, they won't make it. They did no trouble. And, uh, now they're in a 10, 10 frame brood box now. So we'll be watching them, seeing how they do. In regards to those aspects, we can kind of delve right over into the topics for today's episode. And we had kind of promised everybody a few episodes back that we would be talking about nucleus colonies for resource hives and getting into that sway when you have a colony like the one that you were referring to that mm-hmm. is doing really well and is really big you know you do have some options um one of your things this year was supposed to be and you're you're trying to stay somewhere in at least half of that is raising big strong colonies so that you can get a maximized oh, honey yeah. harvest from that colony versus doing splits and other things so this kind of all plays hand in hand right back into the same aspects of uh, of this goal, <laughs> I guess we should say. Mm-hmm. So taking that subject and, and kind of just diving in from where you just left off on having a colony that is, you know, really big and doing really well, you kind of get to the point where you might be worried that it is going to potentially swarm and maybe mm-hmm. you don't want it to swarm. Or mm-hmm. in other instances, maybe you have a colony that needs a little bit of help and you've got some colonies that are doing great and some that aren't. And there's different ways you can go through and kind of mitigate that and and fix it all up. But so let's look at the swarm aspect first. And we have talked about swarms. We talked about them kind of on and off briefly in the first season. We talked about them in more detail and depth in the second season. And we're going to we're going to talk about them again here um, this go around because swarming is a basically everyday aspect of beekeeping, especially in the spring, all of your colonies will try to swarm at least once every season. Colonies that have different genetic strains are more prone to swarming more often. Colonies that are uber crowded, have tons of resources, tons of bees, and not a lot of space left to lay any eggs are prone to swarming more often. And you can get multiple swarms out of one instance as well because you can have what they call after swarms, which is where the original queen leaves with a quote-unquote prime swarm and goes off and there goes your mated queen. And then there's still so many bees that the colony actually segregates the virgin queens and does not allow the one queen to go and kill all the others before they can emerge. They allow more than one to emerge 
and they will send out after swarms that are headed by virgin queens and those they can issue two or three of those sometimes from a colony to go ahead and continue trying to reduce that population i want to go back and touch on a couple of different ways of of doing the split itself things that we have not necessarily talked about before and this is so you know you know the obvious can to go through and and just literally do a split right but you can also do an artificial swarm and this is something that natalie had mentioned she called it a shook split or an artificial swarm. And in doing this, you may only have, say, you know, you've got this drawn empty comb that you can utilize, right? Mm -hmm. So you take that drawn comb and you give them just one frame of comb and the other frames are foundation. Then you literally just shake the bees down in there and you put a queen excluder on it so that the queen can't get out. And you do your artificial swarm in that regard where you have purposely done them. You can also lay out a sheet and pull it up to the front of that hive. And you see this a lot of times on, on Instagram and YouTube where people have done this. And you can take the bees and you can shake them down onto that sheet in a pile. And they're going to start marching up the sheet towards the hive. And then they will go into the hive and the queen and everybody will just follow them in. When you do that, that kind of more mimics an actual swarm because now they're they're moving on their own volition to go into this place. And it, and a lot of your nurse bees especially are going to stay and crawl because they don't fly. But the foragers, they may fly off and they may go back to the other colony, which is fine because that's going to happen in a normal split anyway. So you've got those two versions. There's also a concept called drumming. You ever heard of that? Mm -mm. Can you guess what it is? I'd sit there and play the drums for them. Play a little bit of, uh, you know. Oh, no, I hadn't heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> so drumming is you do sit there and play the drums, but the hive body oh, okay. is the drum. And so what you're doing is you take that hive and a lot of times you set it down and you kind of tilt it to where as the bees come up and out the top, they will then do the same concept as the sheet where they are going to migrate in mass up to another container or another hive. And so you mm -hmm. set this over to the side and you start drumming on it in a rhythmic kind of thump, 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 thump. You know, you drum on the hive mm -hmm. and the bees, the vibration from it makes them kind of do like a forced abscond where they will come up and the queen will come up with them. And they will come up in this flood and they will move up into another colony. And so you're actually doing a split by making the bees do the work and choosing which ones are leaving. And then when you get done, you set the colony back down exactly where it was. Your queen and the majority of your regular nurse bees and everybody else are now in this new hive. And all the foragers are going to come back to the original hive. And so that repopulates that original hive. You can let them raise their own queen or you can add in a caged queen or, you know, whatever you're going to do. But that's another method. And that's something that is, it is very specific. And there are a couple of very well-versed individuals out there that do this on a daily basis. And we will probably have them on the show at one point because it's fascinating. It's just as fascinating as the old tining or tanging where you beat on a metal pot with a wooden spoon kind of thing and the vibrations call a swarm down to land in your area. Um, it's that same kind of really cool, how does that work and why does it work concept? So that's something that we may have as a, a special interview here down the road. Um, but dr the, the drumming is another way that you can go through and you can do a swarm. And one other little thing that we did mention on a bonus episode, and I wanted to get it back in here on the main segment just as a reminder, you may have a colony that for all 
normal intents and purposes, isn't necessarily ready to swarm. They're doing really good, but they're they're not like so overly crowded that they want to swarm. And then all of a sudden you have inclement weather of either it can be a cold snap, it can be rain traditionally, where it comes in, and, and we'll use rain as the example because that happens down here for us the most. It comes in and it rains for three to five days solid and there's no it opportunity for the bees. To, yeah, it used to <laughs> before La Nina. Yeah, it used to. <laughs> um, but it'll rain for several days solid and the bees have no opportunity to leave that hive and to go anywhere else. So what ends up happening is now all of the foragers that are normally gone all day long have been trapped inside for days on end. And now the colony feels artificially cramped when normally if they were out flying, it wouldn't have felt that way. So that can actually prompt them to start the swarm process because of that artificial feeling of being all congested. And they otherwise may not have had any inkling to want to do that. And as soon as the sun comes out, so if you have like three or four days of rain on end, and then all of a sudden you've got two really pretty days, a lot of times on that first or second day, the swarm calls will go through the roof for people that are out there chasing swarms and catching swarms because they had these colonies that were kind of right at that breaking point. And then all of a sudden they got trapped together. And so now they're like, all right, we, we can't take this anymore. They'll start making swarm cells. And as soon as the sun comes out and they're able to, they're gone. They divide and they split. And it's because of the weather. So sometimes that can be another thing that can cause your bees to go through and, and do that split. So if you do come into an instance where you are seeing that the colony is going to swarm or you're worried that they're going to swarm, you can do a split and you can make a nuke. And when you do that, then you've got to have some questions about what is going to happen with that nuke. Is it going to become its own colony? Because that's the normal, right? We do a split to, to do mm -hmm. increases. We make that split and grow new colonies. Well, what if you don't want new colonies? But what if you want colonies that are stronger? What do you do then? You've already got this other little nuke of bees setting off to the side. And they're, they've got their queen and they're going to grow. So what do you do to mitigate that? Pull brood out of the nuke and put in there and you can split a big colony and then you can put ex brood out of the nuke into there. And when it comes up, then it keeps it big. Oh, hell, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you, so what you, what you just said is, is perfect. So say that you've got a queen that you really love the genetics of, and you're, you either know for a fact that that colony is in the process of trying to swarm or that you're worried that they might. So you go ahead and you find your original queen and you move her over into the nuke, into a split. And then you go in there and you take your extra resources and you shake your extra bees in and you do all of that. Well, when you do this, obviously you're going to be weakening that main colony. But if you didn't want to weaken it too much, you could do a very slim split. You could put the queen in there with a frame of capped brood mm. and maybe a frame of open larva. And then that can kind of be it. You can have just those two frames in there. But then you drastically overcompensate on bees and you shake a ton of bees into this nuke or into your split. And then you go through and you start feeding that colony. Well, you've reduced the population of the mother colony, the original colony, 
you've taken the queen away, you've taken a huge chunk of bees away. So you have done their, what they would consider now they have swarmed. And so you allow them to raise a new queen and you go through and you should mitigate that process. Do like we've talked about before. Wait until you start seeing your queen cells. The first queen cells, go ahead and probably get rid of those. And then as you see the largest of your queen cells, you know, say there's 10, you find 10 queen cells throughout the entire colony. And in, in, if they were not already in the process of swarming, they're going to be emergency cells and they're going to be kind of in the middle of your comb in random places. If they were already in the process of swarming and they already had swarm cells going, you're still going to do the same process. You go through every single frame and you find the two largest queen cells and you keep those two and you destroy all of the other queen cells. So you're limiting the chances down to just one or two queens. You're hedging your bets because surely at least one of those two will emerge and successfully come out as an adult queen. And then there's only one other queen to find and kill. So there's probably not going to be any after swarms. You're going to end up with just your one queen and you're good to go. So you've kind of got that colony all squared away. And now you've got this nuke and you've dumped all these initial resources into it. But you didn't give it a ton of frames that are already done. You gave it two and then you've still got three or four that don't have anything. They're just your foundation or they're just empty frames for them to build wax on. Now, this little nuke can be used in so many different ways. So this is where the as a resource hive comes into play. It's never supposed to be looked at as a full-size colony and it should never be moved into a full-size box unless that was your point. If you wanted to have more colonies, then you follow the normal process. But if you didn't, then here's what you do. That becomes a supplemental resource hive to be used throughout the season, and then it can be disposed of in one form or fashion at the end of the season. So it's just there temporarily. And as your bees are going through, say you love the genetics of those queen, of that specific queen, and you wanted to raise new queens off of her. Well, here's your opportunity. You can go through, you could do the different aspects of raising a queen that we have talked about before and we'll talk about again later. Or you can use it for wax production. You can let them draw out those frames and get them full of wax. And then you can take those frames out and put them into colonies that need the extra frames of drawn comb and put new frames back into this colony and just let them constantly be drawing out wax. You can also use them as a brood factory. And every time she fills up a solid frame of brood and they cap it, you take that frame out and you give it to a colony that needs more bees. And you put an empty frame back in its place so that they'll draw that back out. So you're constantly robbing resources from them. You never allow them to get so resource rich that they have the urge to want to go ahead and swarm, right? Because they are in a smaller container. And if you didn't do anything, that one could try to swarm later in the year. So it's constantly taking. Now, you don't ever want to take so much that they start to falter and die, obviously. So you want to make sure that you're feeding them supplementally so that they have the resources to draw out the wax. They don't have to expend so much on foragers to go and find the stuff for them. Um, So there is a little bit of a give and a take there. But the whole point of that is to use it for resources. Now, on your other colonies, this could get a little tricky. Say you are trying to build a monster colony to go through and have it to where you have a massive honey harvest without it swarming. Well, if the colony needed help and you're adding extra brood in there, they're going to get that help. But if the colony didn't need help and you're adding extra brood in there, you're going to end up with a ton of extra foragers. And 
as long as you're watching it, you could find that they do just fine, but it could push them back potentially to another swarm urge where they want to go through and they want to swarm again. So there are some ways that you can fix that as well. <laughs> um, but before we get into that, we've gone through and we've talked now about how you can use it as a resource, but now what happens at the end of the year? What? So are we talking about the, the nuke that we've yeah. been using as a resource? with me i'd feed the hell out of them and keep them going and and then put them in another colony <laughs> make another colony out of them well true but but you've robbed them of all of their resources for the entire season so they're not strong they're not big and healthy mm, and you're already no. in the fall so you really don't have that option so what you do here is now you've got to make a decision you take do you want to keep that queen another exactly yeah. exactly do you want to keep that queen is she better than another colony that you've already got? Now, mm -hmm. on that same note, that is also another perfect use for a resource colony, for a nucleus colony that is used for resources. Say you were doing an inspection and you accidentally squished your queen. Oh, crap. What am I going to do? There were no eggs in the colony because it's July and August in Central Texas mm -hmm. and you're in the middle of your summer dearth and it's 110 degrees outside. What do you do? Yeah. You're screwed. No, you're not. Yeah. You've got that nucleus colony that has a queen. You can go take that queen and you can put it into the colony that needed the queen. And now you're good to go. You didn't have to order one. You didn't have to go in a panic and wait. You didn't have to worry about the colony potentially going laying worker because you had that resource colony. Now, in that instance, or in the instance of the end of the year has come, you make that decision and you either keep your queen or you do away with that queen. And then you take the remaining bees and the remaining resources and give them to whichever colony is the weakest going into winter. And now you have bolstered that colony by combining the two together and you no longer have a resource hive. You're back to just your standard number of colonies that you've had all season long and you're good to go. But you can, if you wanted to use them to also grow a colony you would have to switch gears for like what you had said you'd have to switch gears halfway through the season when you got up to like the summer earth once you kind of made it into that area you would have to stop stealing things from them and you would have to start getting them up and going now if you've stole every frame from them and, and they've only got you know two or three frames still of drawn comb and two or three frames of empty foundation they may not because they may be like, we don't have enough. You got to have young bees to draw wax and you've taken all of our young bees, you know, and there's no natural nectar out there for us. So we're not inclined to want to draw wax anymore. So, you know, you may not wind up in one of those situations, but you could, you could end up where that nucleus colony, you know, depending on what you did and didn't take from it still has a ton of bees, still has all the wax and everything drawn out. And you could go through and overwinter it as a nuke going into winter and then when it comes out spring instead of having to go buy a nuke or a package you've already got an overwintered nuke with a mated queen and you're ready to go and then you can grow that into a full-size colony that next year overwintering nukes seems like a coin toss because it seems counterintuitive that this tiny little box of five to six frames can survive but they can because they will get enough bees in there to have enough heat 
but they have a much smaller space that they need to actually do the thermodynamics and thermal regulation to control. And they only need two or three frames of solid capped honey and two frames of bees to be able to actually survive the winter. So it can happen. Now for us, this last winter that we just had, um, that was the case where it got sketchy because if that colony is insulated, they're probably going to be fine. But if it wasn't insulated, that was like the one top bar nuke that I lost. They were small. It was a crapshoot going into winter, whether or not they were going to survive. They survived all the way up to February. And then it got so absolutely cold that there wasn't enough bees to keep them warm. And they literally froze to death with open food stores, literally three to four cells away from where the bees were sitting when they died. So it can be a, a risk on that part. But if it was because it was just a resource colony and you were like, eh, let's give it a shot. I mean, you didn't necessarily lose anything because it wasn't ever intended initially to be its own full-size colony. So that is some of the little methods and stuff there. Now I'm going to throw a drastic curveball in here because Anthony had requested some additional information that kind of goes into the same area. There is a piece of equipment that is, there's two versions of it. There's a lot of versions of it technically, but this specific one. So there's what's called a double screened board. And then outside of the double screen board, there's a specific version of it that is called a Snellgrove board. And that's S-N-E-L-G-R-O-V-E, Snellgrove. Now a double screen board is a thick board that is between half an inch and three quarters of an inch. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of this, the the Snellgrove board or a double screen board? No. no. Okay. Neither one of them. So the double screen board in its own right is literally just that board that I was saying, three quarters of an inch to half an inch thick. You've got a hole cut in the center of it, like a big circular hole. And mm-hmm. the, eh, like five inch diameter across, like it could be a good size hole, right? And then you do a double screen. And that screen can be that small itty bitty hardware cloth that the bees and other things like you don't want the bees or the uh, hive beetles to be able to get through it, but you want the airflow and the pheromones to be able to get through it. And yeah, just a screen wire. uh, It can be, it can be literally aluminum window screen, but it can also be like traditionally it's a hardware cloth type, very small opening. Um, But this board just the screened, the double screen board can be used to make increase and make nukes and splits. And it can also be used to overwinter those nukes and splits through the season by sharing the heat of one colony between two. And what you would end up doing is you would go through and then, and again, this is two separate things. So this is just the double screen board. The Snellgrove board has added features and I'll go into that in just a second. So this double screen board, you go through and say you were in that same situation where you were like, all right, well, this colony is going to swarm and I, I'm going to go ahead and do the split. I'm going to make a nuke, but I'm not going to set it aside and use it as a resource colony. I'm going to grow it as its own colony. So you take the empty box, you pull out the frames that you're going to put in there. You shake your bees that you're going to put in there. You overcompensate. You put a ton of nurse bees in there because you know All of the foragers are going to leave and come back to the original entrance. But instead of setting them off to the side, 
You take your original colony exactly where it was originally setting. You've removed frames from the split. You've put them into another box. You've shaken bees into this other box. And then you go through and you put empty frames back in their place in the original colony. You give it its supers or its extra mediums. Then you put that double screened board on top of it. And then you set your new colony on top of that. And then you can either have an entrance that is built into the double screen board, or you put a top entrance for that top colony. And what you've now done is you have created this split and you can do it two ways. You can do it to where the top box does not have the queen, but it has the eggs and larvae for them to raise a queen. Or you can put your queen up there, which is that's the traditional way to do a split is to move the queen with the split, just like she would move with the swarm in nature. You put her up there, and you let the bottom colony go through and raise a new queen. But the heat from both colonies are shared up that column, up that channel. And they go through that double screen board so that they can actually go through and keep each other warm. And that's a beautiful way to overwinter a nuke. You can have your deep, you can have their medium of honey, then you can have this double screen board, then you can have another deep that was a nuke that is building itself out to overwinter that year and it's good to go. And you can leave it that way. That can be your setup going into winter. And a lot of times they come out beautifully. And then you, at the spring, you just take that top box off, set it on its own platform. You've already got your own colony. Good to go. You start adding boxes to it and you're off and running, right? You don't use a five frame box up there. You just use a normal, uh, the regular size. Like if it's an eight frame that you're sitting on top of, you put an eight or a 10 frame, whatever you have, and it, but you only have the small colony of bees up there and you're letting that come up and heat those. Okay. I see what you're doing. Yeah. So I was sitting there, I was sitting there thinking, how are you going to set a five frame nuke up there? Let the heat come up. Okay. I see. I'll, I'll shut up now. Well, so in theory, if you had to, you could still technically do that as well because mm -hmm. the double screen board is mostly solid except for the opening in the center that is the big circle. And a regular five-frame nuke box would fit over the top of that circle. Mm -hmm. So you could do that as well. The only thing is, in that regard, you would want to seal somehow around the edges just so water doesn't penetrate and moisture, air, things like that. Um, but yes, you could totally do that as well. So going through and, and looking at that setup, the difference in the Snail Grove board versus the standard double screen board is that the snail grove has multiple entrances. So you've got your rectangle and the short side that faces the entrance, the main entrance of the hive. There are no entrances on the snail grove board there, but on the other three sides there are, and there's an upper and a lower. And the whole point of this, this aspect of the contraption was originally designed to help mitigate swarm urges. So when you get to a colony that is going to swarm, you can use the snail grove board to drastically alter what's going to happen, but you're still keeping it in the confines of one main colony. You can go through and you can take the original queen and leave her down in the bottom. And when you're doing this, this split is kind of like the flip-flop of what you would normally do. Your colony's congested. It wants to swarm. You've got, say, just the single deep, right? Uh -huh. So you're going to go through and you're going to take that deep and you're going to set it off to the side. You're going to put a new deep 
in its original place, an empty one. You're going to fill it with empty comb or undrawn foundation. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle, you're going to leave a space for two frames. And you're going to take two frames out of the original colony that you've set off to the side, Mm -hmm. one of solid capped brood, one of open larva, Mm -hmm. and you're going to put those in that box. And you're going to get your queen and you're going to put her in that box on those two frames. Then you're going to add your super above that. You can put a queen excluder there. If you don't want the bees to get up into your super, you can do a queen excluder. Then you're going to go through and you're going to have this Snellgrove board on top of your super. And you're going to take the parent colony that you had set off to the side that now is queenless. And you're going to stick it on the very top. And the Snellgrove board, because it has multiple entrances, there is a very specific method of how you utilize each of those entrances and when. You open a certain like top entrance which goes directly to the parent colony on the very top of the stack now. And it will let all the flyers out. And as they leave, they're already pre-programmed to come into the main entrance at the bottom of the hive because that's what they've always known when they go out and forage. So they're going to leave out of that top box and they're going to come back to the bottom box. So now all your foragers are flooding into this bottom box, which either has empty comb or undrawn foundation and the queen. And now the queen has a ton of space. The bees can come in there. They can start working. The The open larva is going to pull the nurse bees that are anywhere else <laughs> back down into there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things that you can actually do with that queen excluder too, is you keep her trapped, but you allow the other bees to come down. You didn't do any shaking, mind you. You left the bees where mm-hmm. they were. So any bees that were in the honey super stayed in the honey super. Any bees that were in the parent colony stayed there. And any bees that were on the two frames that you took out and stuck in the bottom stay there. And then you put your queen in there. So it's slowly, as you open these different entrances, you're allowing the boxes to kind of balance themselves back out. And ultimately what you're going to wind up with in the very top box is just nurse bees. And all the foragers and older bees are going to come down throughout the cycles to that other box. If you were wanting to raise queens, that top box is going to raise queens. If you were not wanting to raise queens, you can go through and you can call out any of the queen cells that you see after you make it to the seventh to ninth day of doing these manipulations a specific door at a time there's not going to be any eggs up there left for the bees to go through and actually raise a new queen so now you just have the larvae up there that are emerging and any of the nurse bees that are still up there warming it and taking care of it the colony is still sharing the main column of heat because this the snow grove board has that double screen center, just like our standard double screen board does. But what you've done is you've managed to give your queen plenty of space. You've made the colony feel like they've swarmed because you divided them. And then you've slowly allowed all of the foragers and flying bees to bleed off and come back down into that other colony. Once the process has been completed, you can then deciding on, you know, what you want to do. You can then add that back down and have a double deep system and put your mediums above it. Or you can completely remove it from the hive and just set it off to the side as drawn comb that can be used for later if you want to once all of the adult bees have emerged from it. So that is a very simplistic, it didn't necessarily sound simplistic, but trust me, that is a very simplistic overview of the Snellgrove board. It does take a lot of manipulation and you have to be out there doing something, opening a specific door every three days, two to three days, technically. So that means that this needs to be a colony that you can access readily, one that you're going to be able to see multiple times in a week or two weeks, 
because on day one, you're going to be doing these steps. On day three, you're going to be doing these steps. On day five, you're going to be doing these steps. On day nine, you're going to be doing these steps. So it is a very hands-on method. And it does allow it to where you can keep a colony growing, have a huge forage force by the time it's all said and done because you didn't lose your bees, and you can increase the overall volume of your colony. But just like talking about the resource hive, you've basically made a split up on the top of this colony that you are then using for resources, but those resources are mainly just bees. You're just letting those bees slowly filter back down into the main colony and you're calling it good. So there, I would, I would advise anybody, if you want to learn more about the Snail Grove Board, look it up. Again, it's S-N-E-L-G-R-O-V-E Board. That is a very specific board that can be used for many different purposes, but it's the key on it is these double entrances on the two sides and the back that allow you to manipulate all of these different aspects of it. Do you feel overwhelmed yet, Ken? I'm just sitting here thinking I've got a whole bunch of resource hives. Well, they're not <laughs> hives yet. They'd, no, I've got resource boxes because uh, i got those double nuke boxes. So four frame and that's what uh, i've looked up and that's what they call them as resource boxes that they dance sells them yeah then you're talking about your so the double nuke box is a mm -hmm. 10 frame box with a divider in the center the divider mm -hmm. kind of eats up two frames so mm -hmm. what you end up with is four regular frames on either side of the divider mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you can use it to do splits they can share the warmth through kind of through that wall and mm -hmm. help them overwinter in that double frame or the double nuke box. You can use them as resource colonies to pull resources out of if you don't want them to grow and get any bigger. So they do work. I can stack them too, where I can have eight frames. So I've got the stackers where you stack them and yeah. Yeah, you can. Now the trick with stacking them though, is you've got two separate colonies living in these boxes and you don't mm -hmm. really want the queen accidentally to bleed over into the other colony. So when you mm -hmm. go through and you're doing your manipulations and your stacking boxes, you have to make sure that that divider comes into contact with the other divider. Mm -hmm. Or you put a queen excluder up there and it that queen excluder has to come into contact with the divider in the center. If the divider is, mm -hmm. is lower, it'll allow bees to cross over it, which then you will wind up with one colony because ultimately one of those queens is going to go bye-bye. <laughs> yep. Yep. So yeah, it, it can be tricky if you go through and you start stacking them because then those stacks above them, unless you have custom made regular nuke boxes that you're using as your stacks, then you keep mm -hmm. it kind of separated. But yeah, it's uh, it is definitely something that is utilizing standard equipment, but changing kind of the the dimensions of it so that you can go through and keep colonies in one 10 frame box, but truly have two colonies in there. So it is definitely something that can be done. And for you top bar lovers out there, less builds top bars all the time that have a divider in the center. So instead of being one 40 bar top bar, it's actually two 20 bar top bars in one container. So he's got double the hives coming in and going. And I'm sure that's something that Natalie will touch on at some point because that can be used as a resource colony or to have a colony that basically just makes more colonies because they're going to get crowded quicker they're going to be more inclined to want to swarm and therefore you can do splits off of them or raise queens off of them more readily and more easily than you can in a big, you know, 40 bar setup. So lots of different possibilities, lots of different options. Hopefully this episode has 
overwhelmed you with things that maybe you want to go out there and do a little bit more research on. Maybe you're like drumming bees. What the hell? And so you're going to go look up some YouTube videos and watch Tucka. Go look at Tucka B or go look at Sam Comfort. Those are the two people that are notorious for drumming bees. And you can find lots of different videos and write-ups and stuff out there about that and kind of quell your curiosity or maybe pique your curiosity um, on those aspects. And like I said, we'll try to get one of them on the show here to go through and talk about it in person with us one of these days. And then, you know, maybe you're like, man, that snail grove board, uh, it, it could go either way. It can be a take it or leave it. It's a lot of work. So if you're more of a hands-off beekeeper, you may be like, nope, that's not for me. That definitely invalidates my front porch beekeeping methods. <laughs> or what I was thinking. Uh Or you could go through and you could say, no, 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 actually, I want to try it. It might be a great way to prevent the swarming. And the reason that you're preventing it again is because you have separated them. You have given them the feel of the artificial swarm because that top box lost its queen and then it loses all of its foragers. So it feels like it swarmed. But the trick or the key is making sure they don't raise any new queens if that's not what you want them to do. If you do want them to raise a new queen and you're going to do a split, you're good to go. If you don't, there's more management, even outside of just opening and closing strategically specific doors of going in and managing that. So look into the Snellgrove board if you think that that is interesting. And now you have plenty of information, probably an overkill of information to be able to go through and, and now know what a resource hive is, how you can use that resource hive. And if it's something that maybe you should incorporate into your beekeeping practices. Maybe that's something you want to do this year. You don't want extra colonies, but maybe you need to do that split and put it over to the side and then recombine it at the end of the year and take the resources from it periodically throughout the season. So take a look at those things. That gives you plenty to think about until our next episode. So we will leave you with that for this week. Did we did we cover everything? We covered a lot of stuff in uh, in not, you know, not necessarily <laughs> as in-depth. Yeah, not necessarily as in-depth as uh, Anthony probably would have wanted. We could have dedicated an entire episode just to the Snail Grove board, uh, but it did fit in with like the resource aspect of stuff. So I figured that would be a good place to at least get an initial concept. And then, you know, maybe down the road we can go through and we can talk about it in depth if there's interest out there from the listeners if they really, really want to know like what you do on day one and whatnot. But yeah, I think we've covered plenty. On the bonus episode, I want to talk about, I've got a big colony of bees in one of my top bars and I want to, I want to split it into another top bar. So let's talk about that in a little bit on our bonus episode. All right. Sounds good. Well, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead and we will look forward to talking to all of our Patreon members again on Thursday. And for everybody else, we will be back here with you next Monday. So be good, everybody. Hey family, pray for rain. We need it in Texas. I guarantee you. Thank y'all family. Y'all be safe and be healthy. The show might be over for now, but the sting won't last long. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast as we'll be swarming in with new episodes Mondays of each month. Until then, behave yourselves.